Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Tonight, is Kamala botching her handling of the border crisis or is everything going just as planned? I'll tell you why I think Kamala has no plans to do anything about the flood of illegals coming across the border. Then, Jen Psaki says they just need more time to get the asylum process figured out. But Ben Burkwam just spoke with real asylum seekers. And Congressman Ted Budd just got the endorsement of President Trump in the North Carolina Senate race. And he's here to react to that endorsement and Kamala's botched border crisis. And we still have our eyes on the Arizona election on it happening in Maricopa County. And we'll get updates from there on the ground. So all of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. Good evening. I'm Dr. Gina. Welcome to Primetime. Well, it is another day of the Biden administration, and therefore, it's another day of the Biden border crisis. We all know that Kamala Harris was not qualified to be vice president. Even her own party told us that. But we didn't know she was this bad. Kamala just returned to the U.S. from her first foreign trip that took her to Guatemala and Mexico, but she made a fool of herself by a lot of people's testimony, including Democrats. Kamala's NBC interview will go down in history among the biggest political blunders of all times. Of all time. Let's listen again. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. The truth is Kamala has not been to the border and Kamala did go and meet with the Guatemalan president who then did some U.S. media and blamed the border crisis on her and on Biden. Listen. The message changed too. We're going to reunite families and we're going to reunite children. The very next day, the Coyotes were here organizing groups of children to take them to the United States. I mean, and he just said what we already know. Of course, the Biden border crisis is Biden and Kamala's fault. But I'm not sure that Kamala or Joe really actually care. Although you can see the panic on the faces of many in the mainstream media. And that is because they are worried that Kamala's about to botch the Democrats' chances to do anything big before the midterms. This is the concern. The more Kamala makes a fool of herself on the world stage, the harder it is for her allies in the media and in politics to work with her and to come to her defense, as they've always done. But I want you to watch for others in the Democrat establishment who aren't so worried. And that's an indication that they are playing the long game. The reason why Kamala doesn't even try to be prepared for answering the easiest of questions is because she's playing the long game. And the reason why the leftist media is sounding the alarm bells is because the media wants the entire socialist agenda passed right now. And they see bumbling Joe and cackling Kamala as a major liability. But 
when you consider the establishment here in the United States and that they are aligned with China and that the global elite are aligned with them as well. They understand that to win the short term is nice, but it's not necessary. Kamala might look like she is majorly botching the border crisis, and she is, but they're okay with that. Every illegal that can make their way across our southern border is a potential vote, a likely vote, in fact, for Democrat candidates and the socialist agenda. The left was shaken to their core when President Trump showed black Americans that they could leave the Democrat plantation and they could thrive in America. When black unemployment hit record lows right before the pandemic, the left could see their power evaporating before their very eyes. There is nothing scarier to a leftist than a productive citizen, especially a minority, who thinks for themselves and does not need their assistance. So the long game here is for Kamala to botch the border crisis intentionally. Black Americans were used by the left for as long as they were useful. But now that Hispanics are becoming the new big minority, Democrats see them as their new tool to be used to hold on to their power. You can almost see Democrats salivating at the idea of bringing in tens of millions of illegal aliens and filling their inner cities with them and giving them government handouts as fast as they can. And as I told you earlier this week, when the government replaces parents as the provider, families are destroyed every time. Fathers are no longer needed. Men lose their purpose. They turn to gangs, drugs, and alcohol, and that creates generation upon generation of Democrat voters dependent on the almighty government, right? The way that the left holds on to power is to destroy families and to keep people dependent on government instead of family, instead of neighbors, instead of church, instead of their faith. Even though they claim to want to reunite separated families in the United States, they actually want to bring those families here so they can destroy them. Because the breakdown of the family is one of the main ways that leftists keep people dependent on government and maintain their political power. As long as Kamala keeps cackling and Biden keeps bumbling, the border will stay wide open and a whole new voting block of poor minorities can stream into our country. And that's a goldmine for the left who only care about their own power. Now, you might be under the impression that illegal immigrants can't vote, but in many municipalities around the country, they sure can. In Democrat-run cities like Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco, and many others, you do not have to be a citizen to vote in local elections. And that's true. Take it to the bank. Look it up. Are you surprised to hear it? Well, more and more local governments are quietly making voting available to non-citizens all the time. And of course, the left hopes to open up all elections to non-citizens. And to those they can't open them up to, they'll just have them vote illegally. But even if illegal, illegal aliens do never do get the ability to vote in federal election, their kids born in the U.S. will be able to. Thus, the numbers of families you see bringing teenagers in that they're calling children. Making, making a lot more sense now, isn't it? Now, if the governments get, if the Democrats get their way, they will give amnesty to the illegals and grant them the right to vote. So watch each leftist to see if they are playing the short game or the long game. Either way, it's a game intended to increase their power and their wealth. Don't forget it. Joe Biden is a very wealthy man, and to my knowledge, he's never held a job in, in, the, pub, in the private sector. And that is why folks on the right need to be focused on the long game also. Folks on the right must be focused on defeating these leftists in the next election like they have never been beaten before.
Coming up, Ben Burkwam has some brand new videos from, an as from asylum seekers um, and a camp there just south of the border where he's actually on location. And he will show us some real asylum seekers who are seeking asylum the right way, the legal way, and not paying coyotes to smuggle them across the border. That's next, right here on Dr. Jim Pride. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back. The Biden administration has a lot of excuses as to why they haven't secured our border and why they can't figure out how to run our asylum system that is being overrun at our southern border. Here is Jen Psaki's latest excuse. Listen. One of our focuses and the priorities of the president and the vice president is to improve asylum processing at the border. What the vice president was simply conveying is that there's more work to be done, uh, that we don't have these systems in place yet. It's still a dangerous journey, as we've said many times uh, from here and from many forums before. And uh, we need more time to get the work done to, to ensure that asylum processing is where it should be. So they just haven't had enough time to fix the system, and that's why it's so broken. So let me get this straight. They haven't had enough time to fix the crisis that they created. Here's an idea. How about you just go back to the policies of the Trump administration, and the problem would be solved overnight. Of course, they don't want to do that. They have no plans to do that. They love that the southern border is being completely overrun. They're hoping you'll forget about it. They're hoping to distract you. It leaves so many asylum seekers who really need our help with absolutely no place to go. Ben Burkwam has been down at the Tijuana-Mexico border this week talking to those who are trying to do things the right way to be um, waiting in Mexico for the backlogged American courts to hear their cases. And Ben is here with us now. Ben, good to see you. Hey, Dr. Gina, uh, that's exactly right. The, the families that I spoke to, I was down at the Agape shelter yesterday, you were, you were with me there, and it, yep. the, the stories are horrific. What they're going through are horrific. And the, you're 100% you're right. They created this problem. President Trump fixed it with the Remain in Mexico policy. There was a system in place, and they took that system and put it in a blender, with, left the lid off and turned it on. That's what we're dealing with right now. Uh, and and th these are people, there are so many people, that's why we have an asylum process. The problem is these organizations, the same ones that are profiting from this, these leftist organizations that want open borders, they are profiting from the misery of these people. I had the opportunity yesterday to uh, interview uh, the family, I mentioned them, Dr. Gina, uh, when they were behind me yesterday, uh, and they, they were fleeing Venezuela. They were fleeing communism to come to America, and this is what they have to say. El motivo por lo que venimos de Michoacán y de nuestra tierra y de gobierno es por, por el asesinato de un hijo mío que era lo único que yo tenía allá, de la, por la delincuencia organizada. The number one reason why that we're running away also is because they killed, uh, they assassinated the only son that I had. 
and the organized crime. What is your opinion on President Trump denominating them as terrorists? Es que prácticamente son terroristas. Is that practically they are terrorists. They are, they are terrorists and it is horrible. So it is a reality. It, they are terrorists. Y parece que el gobierno de México o Michoacán los está apoyando porque no los no les hace nada. And it looks like the nada. government of Mexico and the government of Michoacán specifically it looks like they're supporting them because they're not doing anything about it. And Dr. Gina, so that was actually the, the second clip we were going to play. Uh, this was this was a family. We actually talked to uh, multiple members of a family from Michoacan uh, and, and Guerrero that had come up that were fleeing the cartels. Uh, they this this uh, father and mother lost their only son. He was murdered by the cartels down there. He also lost a brother. Uh, they're fleeing and now they're waiting at the border because the asylum cases are so backlogged, as you referenced. They're three, four, five years backlogged uh, because they've been told these same leftist organizations that are profiting from the, the this invasion have told people all you have to do is request asylum that gets you into America now our systems backlog so the people that actually deserve asylum aren't even being able to have their cases heard well Ben that is absolutely devastating and now do set up this next clip for us please yes if we can get that one queued up so these are these are political refugees leaving Venezuela trying to escape communism now people you know people a lot of people don't realize this is recent history Venezuela was a successful country it was an affluent country it was the most wealthy country in South America until the late 1990s 1998 when it turned towards communism now people are and it's not it's not hyperbole to say it people are having to eat their pets to stay alive down there in some cases this is they have they have no gas Uh, this is a, a husband and wife who were trying to stand up against the communists in Venezuela that were attacked and pushed out of Venezuela. This was their message to America. What did, what did communism do to Venezuela? Venezuela directamente la la quebró ya no hay no tenemos petróleo no tenemos gas no podemos disfrutar de nuestras áreas de nada todo se acabó nuestros hijos no tienen derecho a la recreación porque es toda su forma no hay leyes no hay ley de expresión we don't have recreational areas for our children. It is completely has destroyed our country. No hay libre expresión. La gente no puede manifestar en contra de ellos porque si no van detenidos, pero igual van detenidos y no te dan un expediente, no apareces asentado en ninguna página que está detenido. We don't have freedom of speech. We don't have no rights. We don't have nowhere to we can exercise our political and exercise our political freedom of speech. What would they tell them? ¿Qué les mandan decir a ellos? La agenda demócrata en los Estados Unidos, el Partido Demócrata en los Estados Unidos está empujando el socialismo y el comunismo en los Estados Unidos. ¿Qué ustedes les mandan? Que no les permitan que eso suceda. ¿Por qué? Porque van a cagar con el país, le van a quitar la libertad a los jóvenes, al futuro de esos niños que están creciendo. Don't let them, don't let them take it away from you because they're going to take away the freedom of your children. They're going to destroy your country. Don't let them take it away from you. Nosotros un país rico en petróleo y estamos por el suelo. We were a richest country. We were a rich country with petroleum. We don't have nothing. Estamos sufriendo una advertencia que nos hace en el 98 nos dijeron a nosotros que iba a pasar y está pasando, pues como tal entró el comunismo y todos los derechos son, de nosotros son vulnerados, así como igual está pasando va a pasar si yo no quiera ganar en Perú va a ser la misma. In 98, the communism came to Venezuela and it completely destroyed Venezuela. It is exactly what is happening in Peru right now. That if, if communism enters Peru, it is exactly what is happening in Peru. Uh, 
And and you know this the hearing these stories uh, now we're hearing Peru as they mentioned is is going towards communism uh, that is what's causing this you you look at the the impacts of these governments you know, we talk about nation building around the world the left always attacked conservatives uh, they say oh we did nation building that's why we caused this what's really causing this is the nation building or nation destroying that the left is doing in Central America and South America and in Mexico uh, and they are not willing to admit it but that's what's causing this and the saddest part is we have people in America, rather than actually helping to fix it, they're helping to cause it. Well, it looks like it. And then trying to get us to fall for the same socialism that's forcing everyone to want to come that's here. Right. It's the most ridiculous uh, brain twist ever. Ben Burkwam, keep up the great work there. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thanks, Dr. Gina. Here to react to all of that and to Kamala's botched response to the border, Congressman Ted Budd. Congressman, thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here. Thank you. Congressman, Kamala Harris is pretty much making a fool of herself. And this is not just by Republican uh, commentary. I'm hearing this even from Democrats, but I'm not sure if she actually cares to fix the problem. She doesn't seem to be trying very hard. What's your impression? No, I mean, she's laughing, but there is nothing funny at all about this. She is the border czar, and she seems to be totally unserious about dealing with the crisis. We have more than 170,000 last month that we've obtained, that we've been able to capture. Uh, 178,000 the month before. This is the most we've ever seen in 20 years. You know, under Trump, if you want a comparison, we secured the border and we built a wall, but under them, they have opened the borders and we have a crisis. We simply have to go back to the policies that worked under President Trump. If she can, though, go to Guatemala, go to the middle of Mexico, throw a bone here, throw a bone there, cackle, cackle, go to Europe, I don't know what Kamala plans to do. Um, and never yeah, really fix the problem. Europe, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, but if she never fixes the problem, Congressman, she leaves the border gaping open. Um, do you think it's possible that this is all the long game plan, that she and bumbling Biden plan to act like they're trying to fix this problem while all the, all the time planning on um, hundreds of thousands, uh, even into the millions of illegals coming in this country, and them and maybe Kamala and Joe just hoping that uh, they can have those votes come to harvest for them to keep them in power coming up in, in the next election. Well, this is the party of amnesty, and so they would want to change our demographics. And it's really not about being kind. I mean, we're the most generous, generous nation on the planet. We let over a million people in this country legally, but they want to flood us with illegals where we have no say about who comes through our borders. And then eventually it'll be amnesty and then it'll be total control for the Democrats for the next several decades. So that's really what it's about. It's about power for them. It always is about power. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. And that's why they're not being serious about this. Um, if this was about mercy, it would be about fixing the problem. That's the most merciful thing that we can do. Um, this is a humanitarian crisis. The amount of fentanyl that's coming through the border, the amount of opioids, the drugs, the cartels that are running rampant, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, it is absolutely a human uh, a travesty that's happening down here. Uh, and we have to treat this as a humanitarian crisis, and they are simply not dealing with it. But we really aren't hearing a lot about this from the propaganda press. 
Um, if you look at the networks that, by and large, the left and, and, and really just the simpletons of the world tend to watch um, that don't think very critically, they're not talking about this. They're talking about race. Um, they're talking about gender. They're talking about Pride Month. They're talking about those kinds of things. They're not concerned at all about the women being raped at gunpoint as they are brought over here by coyotes, the children being drowned to distract our Border Patrol that you're talking about, the fentanyl being delivered that is killing American children and, by the way, kills more legal immigrant children uh, than anyone else. Uh, they're not concerned about the criminals coming across the border, the terrorists coming across the border, again, all of which affects the legal immigrant population more than any of the rest, of, and, and certainly doesn't uh, affect those who live in secured areas like all of the politicians do that get to vote on this. And so, so when you look at, and, and not to mention the news media, who work on the propaganda press networks, right? So how do we get the word out? Because sometimes it feels like we're in a bit of an echo chamber. I think conservatives are really waking up, Gina, about this. Uh, I mean, you're, tell you're talking about it. Conservative press is talking about it. But unfortunately, half of America has been completely uh, misdirected by the mainstream media and the Biden administration. Uh, they're act actually asking, acting as if nothing is going on here, nothing's happening here, nothing to see. But it is a travesty of uh, untold proportions. I've been to the border. I don't think Kamala's ever been to the border. I have uh, I've seen worse fencing. Uh, down there to try to keep people out and criminals out and cartels out than you have on a typical cattle farm. I mean, we've got better fencing to uh, keep cows from one pasture to another on the farm where I live than they do at parts of the border. We have to continue to build the wall, not as, uh, I mean, just to keep America secure, and then we can be the merciful country when we allow a million people in here a year legally. But the mainstream media, uh, I mean, it is uh, a dereliction of duty by them and by the Biden administration. Do you think people are coming around on the left at all? I think when they see what a train wreck that their administration is, when they see uh, how intentionally incompetent Kamala Harris is when it comes to dealing with the border, uh, I think uh, I think they are. I think they're looking at, it, especially those um, that may have had you know second thoughts about voting for Biden and and his vice presidential choice. Uh, it's it's very sad what we're seeing here. Look, we we want to succeed together as Americans, but right now we're seeing those that are in, intentionally trying to mess up things at the border. Congressman, we have a very important meeting coming up. We know Joe Biden's going to be meeting with Putin. Say what you want about Putin. Um, he is a savvy negotiator. We know this. He has tactics. I've had Morgan Ortegas, Morgan Ortegas uh, formerly of the State Department under Trump, um, on the show. She's told me about some of the strategies he uses that are, you know, mental strategies um, and not for the weak of mind. And I'm not sure many Democrats would defend Joe Biden's strength of mind at this point. All you have to do is look at videos of him from two to five years ago, and you can see that he's in decline. Congressman, are you worried about our standing on the world stage, considering Joe Biden's mental decline and then Kamala's first foreign trip, which was an utter disaster. It seemed as though she was totally unprepared to even answer the simplest of questions. She looked foolish and weak. Well, when America is strong, the rest of the world does better. Um, it's safer. Um, the Atlantic, the Pacific, because of the American strength. 
So we have to be strong. And I'm afraid we're not putting our, our best person, our best foot forward uh, when we have the current administration go and stand before Putin. Um, look, uh, we want him to do his best because America needs him to do well at this. But when you allow something like Nord Stream uh, pipeline and then you cancel uh, American pipelines, I mean, really, what does that say? You can reverse engineer his priorities by what he's done in the last four or five months. And it's not pro-America. It's not America first policies that led to the lowest unemployment in recorded history. We need to get back to that because that's what worked for our country. Congressman, I want to ask you about your big endorsement you got over the weekend. Now, I know a lot of Trump fans were disappointed to hear that Laura Trump decided not to run for the Senate seat that is opening up in North Carolina. But when she took the stage at the GOP convention and endorsed you, and when President Trump went on to then endorse you as well, Trump fans now have a candidate to rally around. You had to be so pleased to get the endorsement from the president and from Laura Trump. Tell us what that felt like. Oh, that was an absolute honor of a lifetime uh, just to be called up on stage. Uh, I had just a few minutes notice, but please realize that it had been building for years. Uh, I came in out of a big primary in 2016, just like the president's, except mine in a congressional district here in North Carolina. Um, we were both business guys that had never been in public office before. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we think like uh, uh, we think like business people. We're just here to make America better. We're out there fighting for the forgotten men and women of America. Uh, so I think as far as uh, America first policies, uh, he realizes that I'm the candidate for that. But I got to talk to Laura a few minutes beforehand. And I said, Laura, if you said yes right now to North Carolina, it would make my job so much easier. We just need a candidate <laughs> who can not only win the primary, but win the general. Yeah, well, elections are never easy. I know as somebody formerly married to a state senator and as a former candidate myself, uh, you know, you want to represent the people. You want to do your best. You want to run when you're called. But boy, if you're not called, you're just like, thanks, God. So I, I get that well, totally how you were feeling in that moment. But what a huge, huge honor and a huge responsibility. Um, how are you feeling about it? You know, it's a it's a heavy lift, but it's a real honor. We've got 272 days from right now to get through the primary on March 8th of next year and then on through the general. Uh, I've gotten tremendous support. Uh, just the floodgates have opened because a lot of people were waiting to see what Laura was going to do. Uh, and uh, of course, I've been talking to her uh, for months about this, just asking her what she wanted to do, uh, letting them know I was going to get into the race. Um, but at, at the same time, I was talking with the president down in Mar-a-Lago. And of course, I've been working with him for years. Laura and I'd worked together. She actually helped me get reelected in 2018 when the Democrats were out spending me two to one. And then Laura and I worked together to help other elected officials win their seats back in 2020. So uh, she was a great teammate then, and I was able to tell her as much in Greenville on Saturday night. But uh, she made things very clear. She's very talented, and she's got uh, a great set of options ahead. But the president um, endorsement will just go down uh, as one of the greatest boosts to our campaign. But this is a starting point. It's not I don't coast on this. I say thank you. And I'm grateful for the president's support. And Gina, I've got to ask each and every North Carolinian, especially the GOP voters for next year, for their prayers, for their support and for their vote. And your website. Uh, Tedbud.com. All right. Congressman Ted Budd, we will be following closely. Thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to having you back soon so you can update us on everything happening there. Thank you so much.
Coming up, Jack Posobiec went to the inside of Antifa, and you won't believe what he discovered. That's next, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Welcome back. Our intelligence community would like us to believe that evil right-wing extremists are the biggest threat to our safety in the United States. And they cite the events in D.C. where one Trump supporter was shot and killed by Capitol Police to prove the point about how terrifying the right-wing is nowadays. But after watching the destruction in cities across the country at the hands of Antifa for the past few years, all we hear from the news media and the intelligence community is really nothing. Absolute crickets. Luckily, there are a few brave folks who do some great reporting on the Antifa threat. And one of those brave men who got an inside look at Antifa is here with us now. Jack Posobiec is the author of The Antifa, stories from the inside. I'm sorry, stories from inside the black block. And he joins us now. Great to see you, Jack. Jack, it's looking like uh, your book's already almost sold out on Amazon, at least temporarily. Uh, very much congratulations to you. Thank you, Dr. Jane. I really appreciate it. And I, I let everybody know that you could go to AntifaBook.com if they're still giving you that message on Amazon. Uh, it's been like that for a couple of days now. We're working through the process with our distributor. But apparently the problem is we've sold too many copies of this thing. But really, that just kind of exemplifies the fact that there's so many Americans out there and really people all around the world because this is an international phenomenon, particularly in North America and Western Europe, where we've seen this organization operate with almost impunity uh, to conduct wide scale acts of violence, acts of mayhem, particularly acts of terrorism in many cases. We've seen them marching throughout the streets, telling us that they are going to commit violence. And what I've done in this book is tell people about the occasions where I've had that I've actually been there on the ground, infiltrating these black blocks, infiltrating their organization meetings. So yes, you know, regardless of what you might hear from uh, Joe Biden, uh, they are not just an idea. They actually do have a quite a sophisticated level of organization. They have a hierarchy. And in fact, their goals are quite nefarious for us as a nation and for Western civilization as it is, because they aim to destabilize our country the very same way that their namesake, the original Antifa action, Antifascista action, was a destabilizing factor for Weimar Germany all the way back in the 1920s and 1930s. These are communist red front groups. That was their original name. That is their role in society today. So they're not anti-fascists at all the way that the progressive left, as they prefer to call themselves, although I think they're very regressive. Um, but basically the propaganda press would like to state that they are. So it's sort of a rhetorical trick um, to call themselves anti-fascism rather than simply admit that they stand for communism. They are Red Front groups. In fact, the original Antifa was called the Red Front in Weimar, Germany. However, that group, because they were so violent, they were eventually banned by the government of Weimar Republic. And so they had to come up with a new uh, name for themselves, a new type of branding. And they said, well, okay, if we can't call ourselves communist, we'll just march under the red flags and we'll call ourselves 
anti-fascist. And so it's really just a rhetorical trick. It's wordplay to get around any of these ideas. In fact, when you actually look at the history of East Germany following World War II, you can actually see this branding and this labeling come up again. The word anti-fascism becomes kind of a state religion for East Germany. We break down all this history in the book where you actually see, of course, we all remember the Berlin Wall. We know uh, we called it the Berlin Wall, but that's not actually what it was called by the government of East Germany. In fact, the East Germans referred to it as the anti-fascist protection rampart. So right there, you've got in their own public documents, which we provide for everybody in all of this, they're referring to the Berlin Wall, which is seen as one of the most international symbols of communism, the literal you know, Iron Curtain, is actually referred to by them as an anti-fascist protection uh, element. And where is all this funding coming from to the best that you could detect? Well, what we've done here in the book through our research, we've actually been able to go through an entire dark network of funding, what I call the cornucopia of corruption, going through naming names of all the various typically left wing organizations, these foundations that were set up um, by some philanthropist and then have, you know, who's long since passed away. And now the people running these things are donating them to further and further leftist causes. You see this set up for their legal fund. You see this set up for various organizations, like when they get arrested because they're out there committing violence and increasing. Increasingly, we see them using the tactics of social media crowdfunding, Cash App, PayPal, um, uh, the various, you know, the various uh, app, Venmo, sorry, <laughs> brain fart there, Venmo that's out there. We've even seen Kamala Harris before when she was a senator, before she was vice president, promoting the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which went to violent domestic terrorists that were committing these acts during the summer of rage of 2020. So we can see this funding on a very direct level. We can tie it directly to these activists. And it's done in such a way where the organizations that are funding these things have to know at a certain point that their money is going into the hands of these actors. And because they've set up an international legal fund, what that tells them then is it sends the message that, hey, even if you get arrested, We've got your back. We're going to fight against you. And because you're using the tactic of the black bloc, which you've been trained in from your sophisticated meetings, right? We know how to get through the legal system. We know how to say, hey, that's not you in the black mask. You can't prove that's me. Therefore, you can get the charges dropped. And we see this happening again and again across the country in major city after major city. Some charges get hit. And even when they get on, they can't stick because they keep using these tactics. And what is the best answer at this point, Jack? To, I mean, we, we, we don't have the president, we don't really have a lot of power on the national level to do much about it, but what, what is your solution here? Um, and if you want to give us a short-term and a long-term plan, perhaps that's, I don't know how you answered this question, but I know that you didn't end your book going, wow, we have this great big problem and there are no answers. I know you have answers. What are some of those answers, if you could just give us a peek into that? Well, some of those answers are getting key figures at the state and local and also federal representative levels from your congressmen, your legislators, governors, where people have it, where it makes sense. Look, 
this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an issue about a violent extremist group that is using political violence and terrorism to achieve their ends, right? They will turn on Democrats the same way that they turn on Republicans. If you don't side specifically with whatever it is their nefarious group wants at that time. So what we need to do is go and focus and put the pressure on our elected officials like Chris Ray, and we start out with a story about Chris Ray in the Oval Office in the very introduction of this book, sitting across the Resolute desk from President Trump when he was there at the time, with the president saying, and well, you know what the President Trump was saying, because he's pretty pretty outspoken when it comes to Antifa, and uh, what he says in public is pretty much the way he says in private. He that asking him, you've got to go after those. Uh, Antifa numbskulls. They're out there night after night. They're in Portland. They're going after the federal courthouse up there. What can we do? Why isn't the FBI doing anything about this? And Ray, of course, is shrugging his shoulders across the Resolute desk saying, well, you know, Mr. President, they're they're really just more of an ideology. But if one or two of them break bad, you know, we'll be able to do something. No, not an answer. We know what the FBI can do when they've decided to make someone public enemy number one. We've seen the way the FBI and the Department of Justice has treated the people who have been, who were arrested for, you know, taking selfies on January 6th in the Capitol, etc. We know what it looks like when the full force of the federal government wants to go after an organization. That's what needs to be done here because we need to send a message that political violence, regardless of from which side of the aisle it stems, is never okay in the United States, period. And I think people will want to know um, the level of involvement, as far as you know it, on January 6th of Antifa. Well, that's obviously something that we'd want to track, and we'd want to look at that through investigations. When you can identify people that have been members of these cells, uh, members of these networks, then you can start to file, file back through there. We, you know, we know we were looking at the cell phone information, what cell phone selectors were pinging from those towers on January 6th, what, um, what chat messages do you have, what groups do you have. Again, all of this can be found through investigation, so we can answer the question one way or the other. But the fact of the matter is the FBI and our national security agencies, who we know are supposed to be doing this stuff, we just saw the report from the Senate on January 6th, 127 pages, and they talked about how the intel agencies were not doing their due diligence before that day. And I'm here to tell you that they haven't been doing their due diligence for a very long time when it comes to groups like this. Tell us again where we can get the book since we can't find it on Amazon since it's selling so fast, Jack. Keep, keeping it simple for everybody. So you can go to Amazon. There's, a, I think, the Kindle version and the paperback are still up. Audiobook is still forthcoming. But for right now, you just keep it simple, folks. Go to AntifaBook.com. It couldn't be easier. You know, Father's Day is coming up. Uh, that's something if you guys are interested, getting Dad something that he would be able to sit down and read so that he can go to all of his buddies that say, oh, that's just an idea or there wasn't that much violence in 2020. No, we go through through chapter and verse on Antifa, every single outfit in the United States as it stands currently. And we go through every single act of violence throughout the summer of rage 2020 so that you can point to it and say, look, I got your number. It's right here. This is the book. Very important deep dive because I have a feeling, Sally, this problem isn't going anywhere. So the more educated we all are, the better chance we have of fighting it and of talking to our politicians about it, as you mentioned. Jack Posobiec, thank you so much for being here. Dr. Gina, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Get his book, The Antifa Stories from Inside the Black Block. 
All right, every now and then I get to have someone come to me with a heartbreaking story that I just cannot ignore. And that happened recently when I heard the story of a shooting death, the shooting death of Ryan Modell. His father, Sandy Modell, has been seeking justice ever since, and he joins us now. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Good afternoon, Dr. Gina. Thanks for having me. Sandy, tell us what exactly happened to your son. Well, very briefly, and, and it's timely that you have me on here coming up, uh, coming up on Father's Day. Very briefly, mm -hmm. my son uh, celebrated a little too much one evening, knocked on the wrong door in Fort Myers, and uh, there was an altercation with the owner. Door got shot, police got called, and my son had left. But the owner waited about two to four minutes, went back uh, upstairs, got his gun, went outside, and went looking for my son, found him, provoked him, and when my son turns towards him, turned towards him, fired a fatal shot, and killed him. Terrifying. Terrifying to think that uh, mistakes like that could result in something like that. And again, I'm so sorry for your loss, especially close Thank around you. Father's Day. What were the results of the police investigation, Sandy? Well, the Lee County Sheriff's Office has done a great job. They've investigated it twice because we provided them with some additional evidence that came up from civil de depositions, and their finding was... Uh, that it's a murder case. They've been very, very uh, forceful on that. They've done a great job. They've concluded it's murder. And But then why were no charges filed? If they've concluded it's murder, why have no charges been filed? Why has nothing been done? Well, that's the big question. Uh, there was a deputy chief that was running for state attorney, and the story is that she was interested in keeping the NRA happy and decided to call this Stand Your Ground. The problem is the case doesn't qualify for Stand Your Ground. It involves re-engagement, it, it includes uh, pursuit, provocation, all the things that make Stand Your Ground uh, not, not, applicable, not applicable at all. So the attorneys that I've had look at it, Mark O'Mara, uh, Ben Crump, two of the foremost authorities in the state on Stand Your Ground, a former state attorney uh, from Orlando, former prosecutors, everybody that has ever looked at this case has said it's a murder case. So we've had questions into the state attorney's office Amira Fox in Fort Myers refuses to explain how she can call this stand your ground. From your perspective, it's one thing to have this tragedy befall you and your family. Um, it's another thing to feel like you didn't get justice. Um, it's another thing entirely to have repeated contact from the killer. Can you tell us about that? Well, the, um, the killer has uh, apparently decided to contact me on multiple occasions. He, uh, he has sent uh, death threats, death, uh, threatening death texts, and we've repeatedly requested from his attorney that he stop, but he continues doing it. I've referred it to the authorities. They've looked into filing charges, but it's, it's right on the, on the edge. So yeah, it's, it's tough enough to lose a child, then to watch the system fail, and then the, the final salt in the wound, receiving uh, threatening text messages from a killer. And actually, in the opinion of the Lee County Sheriff's uh, Office, um, a murderer. And there was an article done about this, extensive article done in the Florida Sentinel. Um, you brought this personally, I believe, if I understand the story correctly. There's a lot of information here. Unfortunately, we only have a segment, so I'm trying to consolidate all this best I can for our listeners. Um, to the attention of the Florida Governor, Ron DeSantis, among others, um, what response have you had from the politicians um, and others who you've reached out to? Well, the original response, I had talked to uh, Ron DeSantis about this years ago, 
And he had an interesting take on it. I explained the, the case and the problem with the uh, with local authorities, with the uh, state, state attorney refusing to file charges, refusing to explain it. In fact, it's kind of uh, interesting. Terry Spencer from the Associated Press said he has never talked to a Florida state attorney that couldn't explain or defend their decision. He said it's unusual. So in discussing this with, uh, with Ron DeSantis, he had said very clearly that when local government fails to act, the governor has both the authority and the obligation to step in. And with that in mind, uh, my attorneys filed an, a petition and it sits on uh, Governor Santos's desk now. What we're saying is this did not get a clear, objective, honest review uh, down in Fort Myers. There was electioneering, there were politics, there were all kinds of conflicting issues. And as a result, we're just saying, let's put this in front of a third party with uh, a fresh set of eyeballs. And the request is for him to appoint a special prosecutor just to take an honest and objective look. And frankly, everybody should be in favor of this because if he appoints a special prosecutor and they determine that the state attorney was correct, then she's vindicated. If in fact they determined that this was in fact a murder and needs to be prosecuted, then everybody should be happy that justice has served. So I can't see any reason for anybody to be opposing this. And certainly Governor DeSantis, unless he's, uh, I don't know, unless he's in favor of murderers, I would imagine this is something that he would want to take issue with. We've got a petition on his desk. It's been there for two years, and I just can't seem to get a response. So hopefully uh, hopefully that's forthcoming. Well, we certainly all pray for justice for your son, Ryan Sandy Modell. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us and telling your story. Dr. Gina, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Coming up, the cancel culture is on the march. We will tell you who they are going after now. And we have some news you didn't know. That's next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. And now it's time for some news you didn't know. And here to help, as always, from our RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. Great to see you too, Dr. Gina. And according to a new research by Oxford University, there were no bats or pangolins sold at Wuhan's Chinese wet markets between May 2017 and November 2019. This information comes after the world is still trying to find out the truth of where the COVID-19 pandemic actually originated. The two hypotheses being looked into are first is from Wuhan's wet markets, where pangolins are believed to have passed the virus onto bats, who were then bought and eaten by locals. And the second is the virus came from the Wuhan lab, either accidentally or on purpose. But according to the findings from the latest research done by Oxford, there's no way pangolins could have transferred the COVID-19 virus to bats during the time. Citizens in Wuhan began to fall ill with the virus in late November to early December 2019. Of course, this is just one of the many reports coming out of how the pandemic started. But if you add this information to the recent U.S. report that concluded it is actually plausible that the virus leaked from the Chinese lab in Wuhan, Dr. Gina, it's looking more and more like the virus did come from the Chinese lab and the Chinese communist government most likely knew about it before December of 2019. Well, always shocking, and then in another way, not so shocking, it seems like. Thank you so much, Jessica. See you tomorrow. You're welcome, Dr. Gina. And Amanda Head, our West Coast correspondent, is here with us now to help with this story. Amanda, the cancel mob put the final nail in the coffin of the career of Bachelor host Chris Harrison. And Amanda, 
I don't know. I'm kind of just mixed about this. I'm a I'm a fan of that show. At least I used to be. It got kind of smutty in recent years. But Chris Harrison defended a female contestant who went on an antebellum South themed party in college, and therefore uh, that made him a racist, and he was canceled. Tell us. Yes, so Chris Harrison has hosted that franchise for 20 years, two decades. He has been a part of that show as the host, and he has left. Uh, he departed in February among backlash, or mid-backlash, rather, of his defense for a former contestant named Rachel Kirk Connell, who, as you cited, uh, attended this, I believe it was a fraternity party that was a Southern Plantation-themed party. She just attended. She wasn't the organizer. She wasn't the queen of it, anything like that. But simply because she attended three years ago, she was raked online. He came to her defense saying, look, this is something that happened in the past. And he made a very plausible argument in her defense, and the left was having none of it. So hashtag canceled, and he's gone. So they are busy milling, trying to find other options as far as a host for that show, but it has been an era for him. And a lot of people, I wonder if they will, you know, discontinue watching because it is not the the typical programming that they're used to. And Bachelor, as you That's cited, right. has changed a lot changes over the a years. Lot. Yeah. yeah. All right, almost out of time, it may end up, but it is time for our meme of the day. Now, this is a picture of all of the conservatives waiting for the media to admit that conservatives were right all along about Biden, about Fauci, about China, about BLM, and about Antifa. The list goes on. Um, there you go. Oh, yeah. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, I remember we all were called cultists and conspiracy theories when we even just raised questions. And still are. Maybe this. And still are. Yeah, maybe I'm sorry, Amanda, we're out of back. time. I got to rush you off again. But thank you for joining us. And thanks to all of you here at Real America's Voice. Hug your children. Love your God. Go boldly now and live the truth. Good night.